Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I have a good friend of mine, Lee Harrelson, who is going to regale us with stories and wisdom uh, for as long as he possibly can. So we'll try to at least get like 10 minutes of content here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee is on his way through to um, visit some family in Florida. He lives in Kansas City, so he stopped by and he... Um, made sure to be able to make some time for me to get a good podcast episode. So thank you for stopping by and risking your life to have this episode happen. It's my pleasure. <laughs> um, I thought the easiest place to start would be just letting Lee kind of talk about who he is, what he does, all the things that are important to him, and pot, we'll kind of dig into how he got there. So take it away. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, well, my, my main job is I'm a professor of music and director of instrumental studies at Missouri Western State University. Um, in addition to that, I'm the artistic director and principal euphoniumist of the Fountain City Brass Band, the executive director of the National Youth Brass Band of America, uh, the executive director of U.S. Open Brass Band Championships, conductor of the Fountain Youth, uh, Fountain City Youth Brass Academy. I was a visiting international professor um, of the Brias and Rastrick Band in England, and I serve on the board of directors the International Tuba Euphonium oh, Association. I'm glad you did that and not me. <laughs> Mostly, though, I'm husband to Helen and dad to our seven-year-old boy, Liam and Gracie, of course. Yeah, right. That's a, a full laundry list. Feel free to edit whatever you like. <laughs> yeah, you must be busy. <laughs> um, well, talk to us a little bit about what all that stuff means. And um, if it might even be easiest, like I said, just to kind of start the path of getting there and kind of uh, let us look into uh, Lee is a younger person and kind of working your way up to that point, unless you think something else will be more interesting to listen no, to. No, actually, I, th I think how, how I got into music is actually pretty pretty important and relevant um, to the uh, the continuation of my story with Fountain City as it comes along. I mean, as a as a beginning student, I started much like a lot of Americans do in a, in a school band program. I, my grandmother took me up to uh, meet the band night before, uh, uh, before uh, junior high school started. We had to pick either band, chorus, or this kind of variety show kind of thing that went on each semester. And well, let's face it, no one wants to hear this voice singing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I said, I'll, I'll try band. And you know, we went through, tried out the instruments. At that point, I thought, you know, I might be something cool like a trumpet player or a saxophone. <laughs> percussionist maybe uh it, did, it didn't didn't work out turns out my mouth fit uh was the setup for trombone or euphonium yeah i asked the band director if there well, what do you what do you need more of that, that kind of thing he's just mm -hmm. like oh, well probably euphonium but don't let that be the thing that makes you decide to play euphonium uh, he says i will tell you one thing uh, if you play trombone you'll need to purchase one if you play euphonium we will provide you with one. At that point, my grandmother stepped in and said, he's a euphonium player. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, I went through um, 
school band did did well had a lot of success there made a lot of really great friends and had a, had an awesome time just making music it was a lot of fun i went to a successful high school um music program in crestview high school and then i uh, studied music education and music performance at the university of southern mississippi i while i was there i was not a very very good student to be honest <laughs> i uh, uh i took my time getting through that that undergrad <laughs> waffled around through a few <laughs> few majors and and such but uh i mean uh, to be honest uh, i just always kept coming back to music mm-hmm. i mean my 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 family when i first went to college they're like oh you don't want to major in band can't make any money in that except for my except for my dad he was the one who hated his job all all, all throughout his life he's like oh find something you love and sure make money with it and that that kind of thing so you know i think it, kind of one of the topics that i i always talk about is sometimes your path chooses you yeah definitely and in this case like i say i, I always came back to to music i i, I love being uh, with friends, I loved being a part of a band. I loved organize, organizing things. To be honest, I probably would have graduated a lot sooner in undergrad had I not organized as many intramural teams as I did uh, uh, band mm. practice sessions, that kind of things. But you know, it, that 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 kind of started this really this this really firm hold on the team atmosphere that that I like to be around, uh, which which feeds into the brass band. Um, later, which I I started um, at uh, the University of Missouri, Kansas City Conservatory. I was I was there. I did my master's there. Did my doctorate there. Um, I started the band in two thousand two. Um, at, at this point, um, I was taking service band auditions because I mean that was the thing. If you were going to be a euphonium player to equal success, you need to win a premier service band job. Yeah, I was just listening to an episode that Demandre did with Karen Kubitas just yesterday, and he was saying a similar thing that that was the track that you were mm-hmm. supposed to go on, and that he did that thing, and it didn't work out for him. He said because he just was overweight, and then all of a sudden that opportunity is gone. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> it, it certainly is. You have to hit it pretty pretty young there. Yeah. And that was the same thing. I was at many auditions with 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 Demandre, and I mean, obviously, you know, he's a he's a world class player, totally. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, uh, you know, there there were there were quite a few of those that for whatever reason it didn't. It just didn't work out, um, and uh, that's okay. I mean, while I was at at University of Missouri Kansas City, I took some extra lessons with with Roger Oyster, uh, principal trombonist of the Kansas City Symphony, uh, who also was principal euphonist of the President's Own Marine Band for for quite a few years. And he used to always tell me when he would be working me up for these auditions. Lee, I just, I know you can win this audition. I want you to go do it and then decline it. <laughs> so those weren't his exact words, but those are probably the yeah, best words for your, for, yeah. uh, <laughs> for your podcast. Sure, sure. Uh, so I, I did, I was a finalist for, for the last few of them. I mean, I got offered to play professionally in uh, one of the armies, like, kind of like their second tier, the Mocom, Macom bands, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things, but I had food poisoning the night before. That's me trusting my own cooking. Um, <laughs> I had a valve actually break in a Marine Band audition one time. Oh, it's fantastic. The look on the proctor's face when he's just looking at me and he's like, "Um, if you have another 
valve. You can slip that <laughs> yeah, in I'll and continue going. I did. I told him, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fresh out of valves. I think I'm going to go start a brass band. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, so for whatever reason that, that track, it, it didn't work out for me and I, I'm happier for it. The yeah. things that I've done, I think I've made a bigger impact on music in, in the United States because I wasn't a member of, of those bands. Yeah. And I think it's, I've been really obsessed with this perspective recently because of the things that are happening in my career. There's like impact I've been able to make that has nothing to do with the job that I have. Mm -hmm. And I I put the job on the pedestal thinking that that was going to be my mark. And to have made some sort of mark outside of that is really interesting and very similar. In some ways, I'm glad certain opportunities didn't work out now because I wouldn't be sitting here with you doing this kind of (laughs) thing and trying to, you know, dig deep. So it's really great for me to hear people who have that same perspective um, but you've just gone so much further than I have with actually realizing what that other opportunity is and what those opportunities would be. So that's awesome. Oh, thanks. Uh, I think we should just for a second talk about what a brass band is. Sure. Because <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think people have heard the words brass band. Maybe they've seen brass stuff. But like, <laughs> what is it? What is it? What makes it a brass band? And like, what you what opportunities are unique to a brass band? These kinds of things that that people might not be aware of. Well, no, uh, that's a very good question uh, because it does often get confused with a brass choir over here or a New Orleans style brass band, which are awesome, yeah. but they're nothing like right. <laughs> like, like, like like this kind of thing. Uh, essentially. Adolf Sachs when uh, to uh, repent for his sins for creating the saxophone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, uh, no, he created this uh, essentially matched set of brass instruments. There's a standard, uh, essentially a standard instrumentation that goes into a, a, a brass band with nine B flat cornets, one E flat um, cornet, the flugelhorn, three tenor horns pitched in E flat, uh, two euphonemes, two baritones three trombones, four, we call them basses or tubas, two in E flat, two in B flat, and then percussion. Um, this was a standard instrumentation during the Industrial Revolution um, that became very popular because in England at the time, um, a lot of that Industrial Revolution, uh, well, it had some pretty pretty uh, negative effect of jobs on the health, such as coal mining was, was, was mm-hmm. a big one. So, you know, the people that own these mines purchased these instruments, they purchased sets of these instruments and started these little village band kind of things. Um, the reason they're all pitched in B flat and E flat is it made it easy for um, the performer if they had to change an instrument they didn't have to change. Uh, well, they didn't have to change their. They didn't have to learn a new set of fingerings. Right. Essentially, they move instruments, just a different mouthpiece. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. So it started as a community kind of kind of ensemble, and it turned in through competition. Really, it turned in uh, into some phenomenal, phenomenal play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's the, so there's this huge set of repertoire for it, for a graded repertoire all the way from beginners up through. Well, you've seen you've played some of those insane. Test yeah, piece yeah. kind of things. I mean, it's you're not going to find more difficult ensemble music really <laughs> out there to play as a brass player. But um, over here in the United States, I mean, we had a few brass bands. Well, actually, we had about eighteen thousand brass bands at the turn of the uh, 20th century, and then uh, wars, advent of television, radio, that kind of things. It kind of died away, and 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 the wind band became popular over over here. But um, 
We, we did have a North American Brass Band Association who um, had a competition. Um, I attended that competition one time in 2002. Uh, one of my really good friends um, had a he had he actually used to live in Mississippi, and he and his wife had a son who was born with uh, a degenerative. Um, heart disease. And he, uh, he had to go to a hospital in Arkansas. Um, it was a special a pediatrics hospital while there. Well, while, while Keith was there, he started playing in this brass band and he just calls me up one day and he goes, Lee, man, if we would have known about this growing up, we wouldn't have listened to all those poison albums. We would have had something else to do. <laughs> He's like, you got to see this. I got this one dude. All he does is play high all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> We're going to this competition. Come check it out. So I said, and he's in Arkansas at the time. I'm in Kansas City, my, finishing my, my second year of my master's. And I was like, all right, well, where is it? He says, Cincinnati. I'm like, okay, where's that? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> so we decided, we're like, all right, we're just going to meet up. Where can we meet? Somewhere kind of in between. And then we'll drive together. It's, so we met at the St. Louis Arch. We figured we both could find that. We did. We took off. I listened to their band. They were good. And then I went into the championship section, which is the top section of bands playing and heard one band. And immediately on hearing that band, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I want to do this. I would rather volunteer to play in an ensemble like that and do whatever to make a living than solo with the Marine band every day. Yeah, so, totally. So, which worked out good because they didn't want me anyway. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> I put that one on for Chris Larios because he, uh, he called me on that a few, uh, on one of these interviews a while back. I said that I'm like, it's just for you, Chris, I'm going to play with you. But, yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, I, I was just, I was just blown away by the the ensemble sound and it was good, but I knew with the people I knew some of the, if we could get that, and this, this is, doesn't mean to be insulting at all to people doing it, but I knew that there was another level yeah, that could right. be t- obtained. I remember there. the first recording I ever heard was music of the spheres. <laughs> I think it's by, uh, Gothenburg. I don't know if that's a uh, Gutenberg, how yes, are you supposed to say yeah, that? Yeah. But, uh, and I just like, didn't even, I, it's one of those situations where you're uh, probably very similar for you. It's like, there's sort of a before and after, like, I didn't really know that that was possible to make those sounds on like a cornet, you know, right. and you listen to it and the dynamics and the technical facility, it just the together, really the togetherness, like they've sold themselves for what the team mm-hmm. aspect of it is. Uh, I totally, I mean, I didn't hear it live obviously for the first time, but it grabbed me very much yeah. like that as well. I, and I mean, anyone who has had an experience with brass band, I would imagine the very first time there's like an element of, I'm kind of hooked on yeah. this. There's, this is, I got to explore this a little bit for, for sure. sure. Yeah. So, uh, so you started Fountain City as a doctoral project, right? Or your dissertation I, it, type thing. You know, right? I think it ended up counting as that. And I know my <laughs> old teacher tells that to everyone. I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started it because I didn't want to mess with woodwinds anymore. But no, <laughs> <There you. laughs> no. Actually, all kidding aside, that was the first thing I told him when I when I got back from that first nab. I walked into his office and said, I no longer have use for woodwinds. <laughs> so, and, no offense, woodwinds, but let's face it, they're not listening. So, no, yeah, no, that's probably no, true. No, yeah. no, no uh, I, I just 
uh, I was blown away by it. I wanted to start something like that. And I, to see the role the euphonium had, the role, the euf- which is an instrument over here that doesn't really have a place. I sure. mean, it, 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 it's got a few nice things in wind band, but it's, it, you're, you're not, you're not so much a featured instrument, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, but when I saw what, what it was built for, really, it made a lot of sense then. And the way we play euphonium over here and trying to obtain uh, service band jobs uh, w- doesn't work in a brass band, really. And uh, on the flip side, if you play in a, ser- in, a, <laughs> in, a, in a service band over here the way you play in a brass band, you're not going to play long, right, probably. Right. But, you know, I've always, uh, for, for a minute, I had that thought. And then I started thinking, you know what, this is just like anything else. This is like if you play in jazz, you play a certain way. Absolutely. If you play in the orchestra, you play with a certain hat. A, a big band, that, those kind of things. There's all different things. Why couldn't this just be one more style of play to, to learn, to, yeah. to, to, to try? to do uh, to add to your toolbox absolutely and i mean that was a, my experiences with it with it too especially the most notable thing is going to be the vibrato right that's going to be yeah, the most yeah. notable thing that jumps out at people that's so different uh and it, it does it takes you a second to kind of get outside of the thing you've been told your entire life of like how to make a sound on the trumpet especially as an orchestral trumpet sure. player that you can do this other thing and and I think the vibrato, from what I understand, came about because they just like were amateurs. And so it kind of covered up pitch tendon or pitch in instability and things like that and turned into like the style. Yeah. And I think that's probably a byproduct of it, because, again, these were amateur musicians uh, from from the jump. They did not have professional training uh, at all. They would hear this overture. They played a recording of it with strings. Who, who might be playing, mm. who would be playing with vibrato. That's the sound they were emulating. They were emulating what they heard. And then it kind of developed over time up until probably the mid-80s. And then that's when you started getting more more college-educated musicians playing in brass band. And if you listen to the sounds of the top bands now, they definitely have the vibrato on at times, but it's not that constant. It sounds like you're kind of riding down a railroad track while playing. Yeah, <laughs> that's, sure. that, 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 that's always on. But the use of vibrato and the different different ways to uh, to use vibrato in in brass band is certainly certainly a, a wider range than than I was accustomed to before uh, before being sure. in brass band. Sure, I think all of us are that way. Um, I think what I'd like to do, I would like to sit here for a second and just talk about the genesis of Fountain City, what it looked like in the beginning, because I know you didn't necessarily have uh, a full set of instruments and so the successes sort of the failures the setbacks the struggles the adversity and ultimately how you went through that and what that taught you just kind of like take us through the i mean we can spend some time doing this um absolutely what it looks like you know to start a a a band like that and have it morph over 18 i guess 18 years now it's just crazy yeah you know when when i started it sure enough we didn't have a fountain city in our country to to base it off of. I mean, essentially, we based it off recordings that we had heard in England, which and when you go hear them live for the first time, it's like, oh, well, OK, there's there's more here <laughs> to, to it. But, um, yeah, I, essentially what I did to start the band is I um, 
I talked to I talked to some of my colleagues, students. Would they be interested in, in, in doing it? And they were all brass players. Sure. I talked to some of the professors. Uh, Tom Stein, who was my teacher, he was willing to do it. Keith Benjamin, who is the trumpet teacher um, at UMKC, he was willing to do it. Um, Scott Watson, a tuba player at University of Kansas. All all of these guys were kind of looked at as. They were very well respected in the area. So I wrote a letter. I made up a logo. I made up letterhead. And then I just wrote this letter. I attached a business plan, uh, which we've still not um, obtained that portion of yet. (laughs) But um, I sent it out to every freelance person I could find, every college professor within probably a hundred miles or so um, and talked to my friends about it. And I put a CD in of what we were going to play on the first recording or the first concert uh, for them to listen to. Cause I'm, I'm certain none of them had ever heard brass band probably. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, I had, I had a mixed response. I had a few people who said, Oh, thanks for asking me. <laughs> no, thanks. No. Uh, I had a few that said, We'll give it a shot. And then most that just didn't answer that, that, that wow. kind of thing. But that, that's fine. Um, it's, uh, uh, so we got in our first rehearsal uh, and we had trumpets. We had a few cornets, not not many, some cornets that weren't really the shepherd's crook kind of uh, English style. Yeah. Um, but and we, we were using French horns at that time. We didn't have the real um, the real E flat B flat basses. They were playing F tubas, C tubas, and we had uh, four euphoniums. There was, there was no baritones, but still, I can I can feel that first sound that we played. The first piece yeah. we played was called Canterbury Chorale um, by Jan van der Roos, who read it through. It, the very first, you have this nice introduction, then it goes in this nice kind of euphonium melody, goes back to a repeat, and you have the soprano cornet who's up an octave, and I completely lost it right there. Wow. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, this is this is amazing. I'm I'm probably glad that's one of those things that lives in my memory more so than uh, an actual <laughs> recording of it somewhere. Sure, <laughs> but but it, I mean. It, it, <laughs> It was it was magical, but what was established that day first was this is a really good time. We're all enjoying this. It was yeah. the first time since back in my old high school band room, really, that I felt just that genuine love for what what I was doing at that at that point. I mean, uh, it was so it was so fulfilling to be to be a part of that. that. That's what I wanted to find a way to be able to incorporate into my life as a big part of my life. I knew it's, it's probably not going to be something professionally that I can make a living doing, but that's OK. I still get the opportunity to teach. I get the opportunity to freelance, that kind of things. And but to have this, I have to find a way to make this happen. Yeah. And we've talked about this, too, just to take just to like insert this in there to a certain extent if it were a paid thing like this was our job in some ways i feel like it would ruin it you know like it has in other it would be great that if it were paid but then it would start being like well who's going to get paid how much and like now i'm only going to do as much as it's worth you know like as much (laughs) as i'm getting paid and i feel like one of the most important and incredible parts about playing with that group is just everybody's on the same level. Like we're all equals and we Mm -hmm. all are contributing. And like some people have a solo part and some people don't, but it's like, we're all on the same level. And so we're all just trying to do it to support each other and, you know, have a good time. And it creates this other type of performance that Mm -hmm. uh, is pretty rare in my opinion. Yeah. You're very invested in it when, (laughs) when you get there, but uh, you know, over the years it, it evolved. I mean, that first year we had, we had quite a few professionals that played in it, uh, less the second, less the third. Mm-hmm. And we started getting 
younger players that were eager to learn to to keep developing. Uh, I mean, I, as you'll know, you in our field, in any field, you have people that they arrive at a point and that's good enough for right. them. That they're almost you don't want to say they're 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 scared of going any further, but there there's certainly nothing they're pushing them to to do so. And that wasn't the case with everybody, but it was for some some of the people that took part in it. But we got these younger players that came in that started playing, and they were happy to listen to brass band CDs, happy to adopt that style, and it just kept getting better and better. And they started bringing their friends. That's how you got That's <laughs> in, right. involved yeah. in the band. Uh, we had cornet player who goes out, studies at the same school as you. He keeps coming back for us. Oh, well, I got this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, you know, and. Uh, that's just the thing is it keeps it also, it's like a family reunion every time Absolutely. we get together yeah. now. So, um, and that's, that's the reason that Fountain City is set up the way it is now. I mean, one of the, you know, some of the struggles that we dealt with that we still deal with. Um, I mean, the band's been very successful in competitions. It's won eight North American championships, nine U S open championships, a Scottish open kind of thing. It's done very well on the competition front. Um, a couple of the things when I first started the group in the competition side that I got is I had a large proponent of people who says, well, you know, music, music shouldn't be about competition. It shouldn't be. I, I respect that. It took me years to come to the, uh, to the conclusion that maybe that's true for some people. But on the other hand, do we not value hard work? Do we not value perseverance? being able to obtain a goal that 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 kind of thing all these same things that are regaled in in athletics are often shunned on in music but in order to win your job you're going to have to compete for it sure uh, that, that 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 kind of thing mm. so um so as i as i get that 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 aspect of it it also took me a while to understand the type of person i was i am a competitive person and that's okay it's not for everybody but but that's just one proponent of of the brass band and preparing with your friends to go into a competition is both nerve wracking and, uh, and, and exhilarating. Yeah, really. absolutely. And you know, iron sharpens iron, man. You listen to those top UK bands when they play, uh, the thing they get most excited about is those competitions. And that's the thing that's created amateur players over here that play at a level. Some of our professionals can't come close to. Yeah, true. I, it's, it's interesting to see. Like, I hadn't really thought about the competition aspect. I mean, I've been at a few competitions, mm -hmm. um, and I loved the camaraderie aspect of it, yeah, that yeah. we all have this unified goal. But it, I didn't think about it in terms of that's like what essentially pushes the art form forward mm -hmm. in many ways, right? Because yeah. one band will win, and then so next year the bands that got second through sixth or something are thinking, okay, that's the standard. We got to, we got to find a way to top that. Well, how do we do that? And you start digging into where your weaknesses are and things and ways that you could improve that. And ultimately over the course of time, the whole standard's going to rise. Uh, and it has, I mean, if you listen to the competition that I went to in 2002, uh, the first section bands now would annihilate that mm -hmm. the championship section part yeah. of it. Uh, and you know, that's one of the things that I'm most proud of that. I think Fountain City has, has contributed to is it's helped elevate the level of, of the genre here in the United States. So you started the band, how long did it take you to get a full set of instruments? Do you know? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, we started and I sent out the letters in the spring of 2002. We had our first rehearsal in September, first concert also in a little late. It was in October. Um, and then, you know, it just we picked up a player, an instrument here or there almost every time. By the 
third year, we had a set, essentially. We had a couple tenor horn players that bought their own, um, which was a, a big deal. Um, we didn't switch over to the bases until probably five years, six years in or, or so. I mean, uh, we were very fortunate. I'm um, an endorser of Besson Buffet Crampon Instruments, and the, the quartet I played with in the time was was given instruments, uh, given tubas to play. So we were able to use those in the quartet as well as the uh, as 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 the brass band. So that helped a lot. But yeah, it was it was three or four years before we actually had a set of full brass band instruments. But and, sorry, was it uh, was it on your mind that we got to do this, or were you just thinking? Hopefully someday this is going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, we knew after after about two years, we knew we wanted to go into and to start competing and that kind of thing. And in order to compete, you have to have the correct instruments other than tubas. Um, and we're still, I think we're the only band that still has the actual E-flat, B-flat basses um, uh, that compete in the United States. But you had to have cornets. You had to have tenor horn, that kind of thing. So uh, we just it was just a natural evolution towards that. And then I would say, uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say the thing that really probably changed people's minds about the band was going to the Scottish Open, I would imagine, like winning that thing in 2009, I think, right? That's right. Um, That's like, you were the first band to have, uh, the first American band to have won, right? Yeah, we're the first American band um, ever to win a competition um, on UK soil, um, and the, uh, the first non-UK band in over fifty years. Right. To, they brought the national band of New Zealand over <laughs> to the British Open, I think it was, um, <laughs> and they they won. So how did that? I mean, clearly that's a huge deal, and it's pretty obvious that it would, uh, you know, people would probably be thinking differently, but like, what did it do for you? Did it validate some of that work for you and feeling like, okay, like I believed this could be a thing and now it's actually a thing. Like, what was that like for you? Uh, it's still surreal to, to be honest. Um, thinking about that, I, uh, we didn't expect that's what, that was what was going to happen when, when we got there, but the band played really well. I mean, I, I had the best solo I've ever played. I also had the worst GAC at the very beginning of that solo that I've ever played, so much so that one of the uh, one of the adjudicators, <laughs> as I was going across the stage to get the get the prize, goes, "Well, you got away with that B flat after all, didn't you?" <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but but yeah, if you if you start right after that, I think I started that note about five times. Uh, but uh, that's was, amazing. No, so so <laughs> as I have this really great joyous memory of it, there's also still that. <laughs> sure, sure. But no, it was uh, it, it was just fantastic. I mean, that band, that was the last time, that year was the last time Fountain City was together every week for rehearsals. Um, uh, we, we rehearsed. And that day, I think, was it was the 18th day of a tour. We all have kids and everything now. There's no way we could do a tour like that again. And we had played together some 30-something days straight um, before we went into that competition. Wow. So that band was really, really on top form for, for who it was. I mean, you look at some of the members that we had in there at the time, and I'm like, how did we ever manage <laughs> this? And then, you know, we stayed together through the spring. And that's when we had we had members that started moving away. They started winning jobs. They started um, uh, well, they got teaching jobs. They got playing jobs. They they were moving away, and we had, we came kind of to a crossroads. It's like, okay, well, do we want to keep do we want to keep uh, it here in Kansas City, reteaching musicians all over the, <laughs> each time, or do we want to try to keep our core together 
and then make it more like a project kind of band where we come in just before performances, a week or so before competitions, and then maybe do some some rehearsing um, with the band that the members that are in Kansas City. Uh, but we really, really push it to keep our members that we've worked for. And that's what we ended up doing. And that was very unpopular with a lot of some of the other competing bands. Uh, I mean, as you know, it's a lot easier to look at the problems of other people than looking uh, looking at yourself, right, what right. you might be able to do um, to, to, to help there. And, you know, we heard for years off Fountain City, bringing in all these ringers and everything when it's like, yeah, but that ringer kind of played with us when like, Chris Larios again to bring him up. He's got way too much airtime today, to be honest. Uh, but um, <laughs> he started on second cornet in the band, kind of kind of thing. I, I remember him getting uh, uh, getting uh, chewed out one time in a rehearsal, and turns out his parents were in the uh, in the audience. Oh man, <laughs> I, I don't think I've heard that story. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> I'll have to ask him. Yeah. yeah so, but <laughs> but no, and then you know. He moved out to Northwestern, still played with the band, played when he was in an orchestra, plays when now he's in the Marine Band, that that kind of thing. But we we have we have quite a few members that that have done that. And then when some what we try to do is in order to help, you know, just bring awareness of the ensemble, the genre is when we have us when we have an opening, we do reach out to friends and things like that. That's how we get people that play in professional orchestras to play with. It's people that other college teachers go, hey, why don't you come check this out? In hopes that, one, maybe they like the band and want to keep playing, sure. But two, they have a positive experience mm -hmm. with it. And then they take that back and then it helps continue to build. So this is, I don't know if you were prepared to, to answer this question I'm about to ask, but I just, hopefully off the cuff, just to see what you think. What do you think has caused this amount of loyalty for people to move heaven and earth and lose money <laughs> to continually come back and play concert after concert and not basically like not miss? You know, I mean, obviously people are going to miss here or there, but what do you think has caused this amount of loyalty from your members? So oh, it's the people. It's the people that make it up. It's the spirit of that group. Um, I think the, the thing that I notice, it, it's just there's there's nothing about it that is individual based. It, it, it is all the the band is bigger than the one and to be a part of that, to be a part of something special. I think that's what we all want. We want to be a part of something special, something that's making a difference. And that band is doing that. It's doing it at the competition level, the concert level, at the youth education level now with our with our brass academy. Yeah. I was gonna get into this. I wanted <laughs> sure. to um so you won in two thousand nine you won this big competition so you're thinking this is uh, we couldn't have imagined this was going to happen, but I assume now you necessarily like didn't view the people or the band differently. Just like, whoa, what else could be possible? What did progress look like for you at that point? You know, especially if the band is disbanding and you can't yeah. rehearse as much. Like, how did you can? What do you feel like contributed to the band continuing to evolve <laughs> in those circumstances? Well, you know, uh, we had a we had a great band we had a great team there um we won scottish open 2000 2008 one or 2009 won 2010 naba and then we lost four straight mm -hmm. that, that 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 kind of thing that's when i got into the band that was it <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is is like we wouldn't changed the way we that we did it because we were still getting better as a band we didn't have the rehearsal time a lot of bands will take out those competition pieces and that's all they'll do from september really mm -hmm. they'll they'll just practice that that was never what we wanted to do um that that kind of that kind of thing but you know we we ended up um 
we ended up growing as a, growing our membership quite a bit during that time, right? reaching out. And then as as we have stabilized and we st- uh, and we we've, we've had some we've had some guest conductors come in and do some phenomenal work um, with the band. Uh, it, it it kind of recentered, refocused a few years back, and uh, it, not that it was doing anything bad in in between. It was the concerts were still great, the competitions were fine. I mean, the location we had them wasn't too great. And they're in that medieval times location, hey, yeah, right. <laughs> kind of thing. I wouldn't have wanted to have to adjudicate. This is that. a side story. I took a I took an audition for uh, principal trumpet in the Cincinnati Symphony. Uh, I don't remember when. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember three or so years ago and their hall, uh, the music hall, it's the was under renovation. And so we had to do the audition in a different space and it was walking this door here. And I was like, this building looks kind oh, of familiar. No. <laughs> and in the warm up room, the room where we just hung out before we were taken to our, our individual room, was the hall <laughs> the Masonic many, temple? Yeah, the there, Masonic yeah. temple hall. And I was like, "This is kind of surreal to be back <laughs> in this space," but uh, it wasn't the best performing venue. No, 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 it wasn't. But I mean, you can't hang everything on the competitions r- r- results and things. It's 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 definitely the process that mm-hmm. that we get to have and the shared experience. And I wouldn't change anything about those bands that 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 didn't didn't win. That that's okay. Yeah, I kind of want to if people. I ha- if people will allow me on the other side of this to to just take a second and kind of talk about my experience. Uh, I remember coming in and rehearsing for NABBA. I remember getting yelled at about my G's and the top of the staff <laughs> not being soft enough. Uh-huh. I, I remember asking, maybe you or Ryan Sharp, like, am I actually supposed to be able to play all these notes? <laughs> I think Ryan was like, well, you should try. <laughs> you know, that sounds right. There's just so many notes, so much stuff. It's It was so foreign um, to be in a space where it's not like you don't take risks in an orchestral world. It's just different, you know? And so, and then the competition, I remember I was too cool for school. I was like, oh, I'll just do this thing and it's cool. And then I remember just being so fired up when we got second uh-huh. and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in this. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not like I'm just sort of like a ringer in the two weeks from, I have never played brass band to this competition, the result somehow it, it infiltrated everything. And now I'm just like a member of the band freaking out and like, Oh, we should have won that. That, I mean, obviously <laughs> it's not like a coulda, woulda, shoulda. I just was so fired yeah. up about, you know, wanting to come back. And then next year, the next year was breath of souls, which oh. I've told that story on this podcast with Demandre. It's still, I, I think the most meaningful musical experience of my life. And it was this free <laughs> volunteer but you know what i mean it's not this it's not like this thing where you think you get up to the highest thing and you're getting paid all the money and everything is amazing it's like this thing where the people make it so special and uh it was very true for me at that point and so it's like back-to-back years of being into it even though i haven't played as much recently because like life is bit you yeah. know life here is busy for me um it still holds such a special place in my heart. Oh, you that's know? fantastic! So well, I will tell you that Paul Lovett Cooper has been commissioned to write the piece for next year. So, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what we can I'll do. I'll be just retitles Breath of Souls, to be honest. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> <laughs> up, a, like up a half step. You uh, know? Great. Um, so, I have sort of a bit of a personal question, and then I would like to get into just the meat of what I hope to be able to talk to you about. Um, what's it like for you? Now to hear me say that this thing you started and have sweated over and have toiled over 
to have provided me with the most me- meaningful musical experience of my life. Like, and for everybody else in that band, or let's say 95%, maybe there's some outliers who are like, oh, that was cool, but whatever. What's that like for you to have this thing realized? Like you, you heard this concert, you were moved, you put in an ungodly amount of time and money and effort and sweat <laughs> and toil for this, re- for this realization. What's that? What's that like? Uh, well, it's really indescribable. Yeah. I mean, to know that you, I think we all want to make a difference. We all want to be able to, to touch people, to, to, to help it. I mean, people are, I mean, they come at things from a lot of different angles, but most, most have good intentions, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. to know that I made something that has, it's like, it's just surreal. And that's, I mean, that's one of the main reasons we started like the youth group is like, we have to give more people opportunity. It's the reason we keep bringing in people to play with the band. Like, Hey, you've got to check this out. We're not, it's unlike anything else, but um, you know, one, it makes it all worth it. I think mm-hmm. that, that you've had that positive an influence on, on someone that you you've done good. Um, uh, it is a pat, not a pat on the back. It's like, oh man, it just kind of adds meaning and, and gratification and vindication for what you've, what you've worked at for all those years. And one part for personally that I, I would stick on about that is in my own sort of journey into doing these kinds of things and hoping to be able to provide information that could be inspiring, educational, yada, yada, yada. Inspiring is a word that I've stuck on me feeling like I I want to inspire people. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not a bad goal by any means to have, but people like you who have actually done things that have been (laughs) inspiring the, the common thread I feel like is nobody was trying to do that. So people were just committed to the thing that they thought was the right thing to do. And it just evolved and it grew and it became this thing that had a life of its own. You know, I'm in the, I don't even have cornets phase of what I'm doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Who knows 18 years right. from now? So I think it's such an important thing, especially when thinking of starting anything new that could have, that you might even just see, like it could maybe go there that uh, we, you just have no idea. Even on top of that, the realization of what that might even be. Oh, when I started the band, I mean, we started in 2002, 2003 at UMKC, we were hosting a tuba conference. So we, uh, we, uh, um, we had, well, Fountain City, they can, they can do the, uh, they can be a, like the ensemble that accompanies the artists, that kind of things. So like, cool. We'll do that. Our very first artist was a lady named Helen Tyler. She's a baritone player. That, that came over um and we uh <laughs> we you know like she was she was a fantastic player pedagogy was fan, it was fantastic and we just kind of used this as an opportunity to get someone over that actually played one of those instruments right. that had experience and i met helen at a couple tuba conferences and that kind of things before so we uh <laughs> we, we had her over and maybe it's just trying to be cool or whatever but i remember when i was taking her back to the airport i was uh, i was saying that you know fountain city will be the best brass band in the country within a few years. Uh, I do believe that. And I did believe that, but I had no idea what it would evolve into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, yeah. <laughs> so, so this is the meat I want to get into right. because I, I feel like in my eyes of just observing like what's happened, Fountain City has taken this sort of like 
if Fountain City were an individual, right? And it was like an individual's career. It's it's taking this this trajectory that a lot of people take, which is like I perform. It's like about the progress, and then we have these things, and then you achieve like the success, and those things are great. But now through the youth bands it seems like a huge function of what the big band does is to provide those members with opportunities to give back. So now you're in the like, we've accomplished a lot and we're still going to keep pushing, but how do we give back? And I know Helen has been a huge <laughs> or maybe the instigator of how knowing how to implement these things and being and obviously you met Helen through. So I kind of just want to walk through this, like how you've said many times Fountain City has given you your life, essentially the life that you have. I kind of want to hear it from you so other people can hear it too. Like, what does that mean? And I, we could start with your relationship with Helen and how that evolved. And Oh gosh. Well, I mean, to say that brass band has, has had an influence on my life is <laughs> it's touched every aspect of my life. Really. I mean, the people that I've met through Fountain City, are, I've, 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 I've met some of the best people you could ever hope to be friends with. I made friends with them. I played with some of the best artists. I've, ever. It's just been fantastic. I mean, I got my job because there was a, a member of the cornet section who was the adjunct trumpet teacher at the school I taught at, or I was I was applying for. They they wanted a music theorist and a low brass person. Um, I wasn't great at theory, that, 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 that kind of thing. So I don't even know if I was in the first round of them, but this guy, he's like, look, just have him up. It'll cost you a lunch. It's 45 minutes from here to yeah. have him up. I got, I just finished my 15th year teaching at that, 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 that place, you know, I mean, yeah, that Helen turned out now Helen Harrelson. Yeah. Uh, she came over. That was through our mutual love of, of, of wanting, she knew that we wanted to find a way early on that this was so much fun. We have to have some sort of youth component to it. We started the, um, the national youth, youth brass band as, as well, kind of, in addition to the hundred or so students now that take part in the four plus bands of the fountain city youth brass Academy, we wanted something we knew, um, you know, this is this is bigger than us. This is bigger than one, any individuals. But this could be something we could leave as as a legacy. And it's something that hit, that was it's it's a combination of the English education style of music and and the American, where um, a lot of theirs happens after school. It's extracurricular that 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 kind of thing. And then there is that community aspect of it, where m members of Fountain City go in and help coaching. Turns out they're this case, they're college teachers and that kind of thing. It's pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. amazing. But, you know, it provided all that. I mean, my son wouldn't be here if, right. if, if I didn't, if, if I hadn't started brass band. I mean, Helen has this, this saying she likes to say, man, she tells, she told my grandma one time, she says, I'm really glad you took Lee up to that school that time that meet the band night, because if she hadn't have, None of this would ever happen. Right, yeah. So when you look, I mean, I tend, I couldn't agree more. Right. Like looking at looking back now, I mean, it's this this little chain of event, that thread that goes all the way through. Totally, the whole thing is. It, I mean, it gives you chills. Well, it gives me chills just thinking about it. But um, no, I, I think understanding now that we have. We, we've enjoyed a lot of success, but we have a responsibility to be able to pass this on to the future generations. I mean, we had in 2008, I think it was, um, the Bolton Youth Brass Band came over here and played. That was where Helen was teaching. We had numerous um, partnerships that, that we worked out over time before she actually moved over and started teaching at St. James. And then we started dating and those kind of things. But um, 
just a, a mutual professional respect there for what we were doing. And she's very um, education oriented. She's a fantastic teacher. I mean, it's, I, I made the cardinal um, mistake last last year of uh, we uh, um, I was on sabbatical in the fall and I made the mistake of sending a sub better than you to teach your students. So when I got back, <laughs> I had to really step up my game. <laughs> before. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, she's just as inspirational as yeah. they come for that for that kind of thing. And it's amazing to me. I have a book over there. I told you about this called Chase the Lion. And it really opened my eyes to two, I think, very important things. One, that your dreams are part of who came before you, right? Yeah. Like nothing happens in a vacuum, nothing. And so this brass band thing was probably because somebody had a dream to start the North American brass band competition, right? That mm -hmm. dream existed so you could go hear it. Mm -hmm. And then your art dreams. One of the things I've really struggled with is understanding, well, if I have these really big dreams, they, what if it's too big, you know? What if it's too big? But if you can get comfortable with the idea that it doesn't have to happen in your lifetime, like anything is possible. And that's, I feel like that's one of the things that it seems like you guys are demonstrating is that you're just trying to leave a thing that other people hopefully will steward and take care of that maybe in a hundred years from now, things look way different. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. it's been 18 years from there was no Fountain City to there are four youth academy <laughs> bands, you know, like who knows what five times that amount of time can do. It's inspiring to me that you guys have stuck with it. And I would love your reflections sort of on you took this risk, you know, um, to, to say, well, I'm, I've been doing the service band route. That is a great opportunity, but maybe it's not for me. Um, how you, I mean, maybe we touched on this, but maybe just digging in more, yeah, how you knew that kind of thing. And then like taking this risk and just encouraging others who maybe are feeling similar to what that was like. Yeah, it was actually the the turning point moment, I think, as I kind of joked about Roger Oyster telling me that he wishes I would turn down these jobs after I win them, that kind of thing. But what he said after that was, Lee, there is other ways you can make a living in music and not in a service band. I mean, and we're talking at this point, there was one other full-time euphonium teacher in the country, uh, that kind of thing. So teaching at the university level, I didn't, I never even thought that was, I wasn't a tuba player. How could that be possible? Um, th that, that kind of thing. Um, so, but that, that really stuck with me. And I'm like, well, well, maybe he's right. And then at about that time I started teaching adjunct and I got a little experience. I taught at the University of Central Missouri for two years, which gave me teaching experience. So two years later, when the full-time job at Missouri Western State University came up, um, I, I got that. I stuck with it. I, 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 I've said many times, I don't, I, in nowhere do I believe I'm the best euphonium player, that I'm the best uh, administrator of brass bands, that, 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 that kind of thing. But I stuck with it. I, I, I'm probably loyal to a fault, but I, 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 you know, I really, I never gave up. It never dawned on me to give up yeah. on, 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 on any of that, that, that kind of thing. Now the service band route that gave up for me when I got 40 something or whatever, but, yeah. uh, but honestly, once I started with brass band, I, di I didn't have any desire to do that um, uh, anymore. So, you know, if, if, if it's someone who's thinking of taking a risk, that, that, that kind of thing, it was, um, 
it's kind of a, uh, uh, it was a little cheesy, but it, it, it's true. Uh, one of the first times my wife to be and I went out was, uh, um, went to an Elton John concert. It was like the opening of the Sprint Center or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we, uh, we both like, liked or whatever. But at this point, I mean, I, I'd starting to develop feelings for her, that kind of thing. I never, never thought to, I was like, ah, she's going to, you know, she's, she's she wouldn't go out with me, that kind of thing. But it's like this song came on called The Bridge. And it was essentially this this tune that the, the method of it was you either have to take a chance or you're going to get left behind. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the I mean, I can relate that to quite a few situations in my life. And starting Fountain City was was one of them. If you don't do this, then it's not going to happen. No one else here in Kansas City is going to do going going to make what you want it to be like. And your honorary anyway, you 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 second guess what they're doing, be all kind of all over the place. But yeah. you know, I mean, the fellow that started um, Navos, a uh, uh, fellow in North Carolina called Perry Watson. And you're right. I mean, had that not been there, had I not went to that competition, then I wouldn't have known that this amazing genre was out there. Right. Um, had all those players and. And you know the oh gosh, my favorite favorite bands were uh, well the the Yorkshire Building Society band. They not made this hymn of the Highlands CD that I love so much. Yeah. I you know their their conductor David King at the time commissioned this work. I mean, surreal moment. Fast forward seventeen years, he's conducting Fountain City, and I he's also I mean the full time director of the Bray Austin Rastrick Band, and I'm doing an internship over there with him. I mean that's like one of the biggest idols ever. Sure, and he's uh, he's one of the most gifted educators you'll ever ever meet. I mean every single time I talk to him, it's like a master class that that kind of thing. But he's also one of the most genuine and caring people that you'll <laughs> you'll ever meet. So I think that's one of the things that really found throughout this entire brass band thing is the people that do it, that are willing, like you say, to donate so much money, so much time. Um, because what Fountain City done, I've just been a shepherd for it. It's the people that have been a part of it sure. that have went along with my crazy ideas a lot of times and <laughs> <laughs> said, oh, well, we'll give it a shot, whatever he says, and we'll, we'll try it. Um, they're, they've, they're, it's the people that's that tight person that makes it up. And that's the thing that keeps wanting people to come back and to be a part of it. Well, I, I will say too, um, I believe personally, it's weird to say this because you're sitting right in front of me, but I would say you're a big part of, it's not just the people, but I feel like you specifically, um, I have been in various leadership roles in my life. And so I try to observe, I try to pay attention to people who are in leadership roles and how they handle it. And you're somebody I've really admired because um, I feel that you, like you said, you're loyal there's this element of if you have been good to me, I will be good to you. And it's not like a, if you're bad to me, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's just like a, I reward this idea that people want this and they'll come and they'll do it. And um, it's inspiring to me. I'm just curious, is this a reflection of you've always been this way or do you feel like you've possibly like messed up at times and you've learned I can't be that, you know what I mean? Like, is there been adversity that sort of taught you how to grow into a leader that can manage this kind of thing for that long? Or like, what's that look like? Gosh, you know, it's, I I don't know that I've ever asked to be a leader. I don't, I I don't, I, I just don't think that's, 
that that's something that you know I I've requested, but it seems to be something that I, I've I, I've been around or I've done, be it in from early on in high school and team sports. Uh, <laughs> The various intramural teams I ran during (laughs) (laughs) during my college days. Um, I I hope that it's the people know that I have their their best interest at heart when I do it. Uh, That's kind of and that's the thing that I I lose sleep over at times. It does get very very difficult at times when you come to a point where we have a member that isn't working out for one reason or another. Be it not working out in the banner, not working out on the part. We just need to, we need to be able to move them. We need to move on. Or, you know, I always have to put the band first. Say I have a large collection of the band that wants to see a change in one, one venue or that kind of thing. Um, if it's the majority of the band that want to do that, being a good listener, listening to what's going on. Um, I mean, the, the, uh, the dirty work falls on me and that's Okay. I, 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 I've lost friends because of it, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. But Fountain City wouldn't be the vibrant entity that it is now, the, the ever growing, if, if some of those tough decisions hadn't had to be made. Well, and I imagine that anybody who understands that, that it's for the band and is on that same page would just get it, right? You would hope so. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's uh, unfortunately, I mean, ego is very strong. And, and I mean, we've, we've had players and such before that, that are more concerned with where they get to play or what they get to do than the, uh, the, than being able to just say, okay, well, this is the best thing for, for the band. And how can I still be a part? How can I still contribute and, and be a part of this? Even if it's not in the, the role that I was in before. So I would like to also kind of dive into what it looks like to run a brass band, because I, I do, I don't want to paint this picture that uh, here's this service band route or here's this brass band or here's this podcast. I don't want to paint this picture that it's like equivalent, like an equivalent thing. I would imagine to a greater extent, if you had won a service band position that you would not be, the the hours wouldn't be as long. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a garbage truck outside. (laughs) I just want to paint the picture that it's a significant amount of work to be able to start your own thing or to really commit. And it takes a long time because you're starting it from, from scratch, but it's important to know that the feelings of what you've described of what you've accomplished, how people have felt, that's what's possibly at the other end of all of that kind of work. So from some of the nitty gritty aspect, like what kinds of things go into like putting on a concert or getting to a thing or just like getting everybody on the same page? I should look up my CV because I wrote it out one time and it goes something from uh, producer to director to uh, web designer to logo designer. To, I mean, it, it's it's well a full-time job mm-hmm. to, to do it. But the reality is you have to take care of your full-time job first. Uh, the band has uh, not just in for me, but um, I mean, it, it causes, it causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of stress, uh, family stress, especially as, as we get older. Like when I run Fountain City, Helen runs the youth Academy, that kind of time. I mean, sometimes we just wave at each other right, <laughs> that, right. that kind of thing and and we're, we're so passionate about what we do that we want to make sure that it's done at a, a certain level and anything that has the fountain city stamp on it i mean i am uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm i'm pretty overbearing at times that it has to be quality and i i've just seen so much 
so many things that, especially in brass bands, that have just kind of been thrown together. That kind of thing. And I'm like, this is this is an issue. This is why we don't have the best reputation a lot of times. So, <laughs> so um, but um, that and partying, right? <laughs> there is a community <laughs> aspect of it. That, although those are, those days are getting shorter. Yeah, so. right. For me too. <laughs> but but uh, no, it's. You know, there, there's a lot that goes into it. If you, when I put on a concert, you have to essentially, you're the personnel manager to start with. You have to, you have to do scheduling. You have to make sure that you have people in all the seats. Um, you have to, one of the hardest things for me really to do is to go to band practice and explain why another band member isn't there, that kind of thing, because I take, per, I shouldn't take it per se personally, but I feel responsible to give everyone the best experience possible each yeah. time they're in the band room um, with it. But, you know, and it becomes a balancing act. Okay, well, such and such can't be here, but they're really good. So, you know, we I know on the concert it'll be fine, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of personnel issues, um, music selection, music librarian. You have to make all the, uh, all the copies. And that's know. in your basement, right? That is in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> the music library. Um, so yeah, it, it's there. I mean, that's what I didn't use my student loans for education. I used it to buy brass band library essentially. Yeah. Um, but I, um, you know, gosh, things that go into, you have to publicize, you have to set up, so you have to contract, you have to talk to, you have to talk to the facilities, you have to sort out insurance. There's, there's a lot of things that go, you go into it that again, they're, they're, they're not paid. And usually the last thing that happens, you have to learn this really difficult music. And if you're running it, you probably, what you want is that everyone else, all they've had to do is get themselves there and learn their music. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas, uh, uh, as the leader, usually you're still, uh, (laughs) you might be learning some of that on the fly, that kind of things, because I want to make sure I have everything taken care of for everyone else before, before I do myself. So in recent years, from what I understand, you have been able to delegate some of those responsibilities. Yeah. You know, I, I have been blessed with people that genuinely want to help. And a lot of times, they do, but we've had a board of directors that have, have, they work well sometimes, sometimes sure. usually it's after a meeting really good. And then it goes dead. I, uh, most of the time I end up giving them out assignments and I just start doing it myself because sure. I have to chase people up to do things and they haven't followed through on them. And maybe that's a place that I still need to grow better in if being able to delegate and follow through and not feel like oh, I'll just do it myself. I mean, I built our website, I do <laughs> all, right. all, all, all kind of things like when it comes comes to 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 that but just just trusting people enough to to take care of it but uh, you know we also there's the part of me that I just don't want to have to ask people to do something else after they're donating their time sure. they're donating their yeah they're, it's, they're giving up gigs to be here that kind of thing yeah I remember this is not just to, to put me up on some sort of thing I just remember the this is to demonstrate for me what the band means is when we did the iTech thing mm-hmm. and I was playing principal cornet and then I found out, I think it was exactly the same time, there was this possibility to go audition for, because I didn't have a job, right? I, yeah, yeah. I didn't have the Indianapolis job, but I hadn't won this job yet. And so there was an opportunity to go and I think like, I don't remember what it was, but I basically turned down whether it was like a week with somebody or something because... We talked, I remember talking to you about it and you were like, clearly I'm not going to hold it against you if you decide to go do this other (laughs) thing. But yeah, it's like, I felt that loyalty. I felt that loyalty, you know, that it was like, I commit, not only I committed to doing this, but like, 
I'd kind of rather do this. <laughs> yeah. It is. And being a leader, being able to instill guilt in people, there I think is very important. There you so. Go. <laughs> um, so I, I'm glad that we went through this, uh, this process because we've painted this picture of what Fountain City means to you. Um, from like a, from you, like what it means to you to have this, what it means to other people, what kind of work goes into it. How does your family fit into that? Right. Cause it's <laughs> gotta be difficult to ma- manage that. And then what does it mean? This is something I've learned is super important. And I never even considered it. What does it mean to take care of yourself? Like to make sure that you are able to app, like actually fulfill all these roles and not just be like tired and angry all the time or does that not happen? What does that look like for you? I think I was just right now when you pointed that out, oh, I should take care of myself. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, gosh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in one, one aspect that Helen gets it. Mm-hmm. She understands what it takes to make this, this thing roll to happen. Um, on the other hand, we, we have conversations about w- w- how do you get off this train it's, mm-hmm. at some point? Do you want to get off the train? Right. And and, and that, of, of all of it, do you want to just be in some, like you say, delegate to someone else to, to, to do? Neither of us know how to quit when it comes to, to, to that kind of thing. So it, it does make it complicated. And I mean, it, it, I've spoken with several band members, you know, it, it, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to, 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 to tell your family, yeah, I'm going to go volunteer for that brass band again when, yeah, sure, I'm having to turn down this this gig that I could have been home at and made a couple thousand dollars at, that that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that, that's tough. Um, as a euphonium player, I don't have to turn down a lot of gigs. There you go. So, <laughs> so I think, I've always said, I think that the uh, brass bands will will definitely be stemmed from the tuba euphonium world. Yeah, right. <laughs> o- o- just over boredom, here. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, I was just asking, because one thing I struggle with is um, it's like it's even as recently as like a few days ago, right? That I'm struggling with managing um, the projects that I have and the things that I feel like will be able to hopefully help and provide good content and information and stuff like that. But then like something like my kids, well, like I feel like I can convince myself that I'm busy and then not spend as much time with them as Absolutely. they deserve. But then I'm finding that that may not be true. And I'm just like sort of in that space and, like eight to 10 year old kids, they don't like they're, they can't rationalize it like an adult can. And no. so like, what does that mean for like, how does Liam understand? Uh, that's a great, that's a great point. And it gets harder each time. I re- I remember it, it was the breath of souls performance. Um, I was, uh, Helen didn't play that, that year. Cause Liam was only a couple months old. Um, and we were laying, uh, we're just hanging out in the bed with Liam, um, before I went to get on the bus to go. I think that might have been one of those overnight trip kind of things. Sure. Um, those are the best. Yeah. <laughs> we learned about the Tulip Festival and all kind of things on the next day. But uh, but I remember like this was the first time it really hit because I I mean like I put the band at very high up and selfishly I probably should have taken off more time as as well. But I uh I, it was the first time Liam ever laughed right before I was to go get on the bus. And I'm like, uh, do I, I don't, can, Nate, can you play those parts? <laughs> Which you probably could, but, um, uh, no. And it, it, it's only gotten harder each time. Like when I had, when he's like, hey, will you play with me? That kind of thing. And I'm like, 
I already got this arrangement I got to get done. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, it's one thing to have to go to work when you have to go to work. But this as an extracurricular thing, mm-hmm. like, you know, they're only going to be that age for a certain time. They're yeah. only going to want to play with me for <laughs> a few more years, that, yeah. that kind of thing. So uh, there's there's an incredible amount of guilt that both Helen and I have when we because we work hard at our jobs when we give up that time and because it has to be both of us usually that mm-hmm. that that even I think that's one thing or at least if we could tag team a little bit that might make it easier but um so it's a real it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act and it's yeah. something to be very be aware of the best you can I think well that's why I was asking about like delegation because I think at some point it comes down to if you're just too busy you just have to like trust that somebody else right. is going to be able to do the same kind of job you would do and it sounds like for someone like you and for someone like me that's really hard to believe that someone's going to care about this thing as much as you do because it's your baby, you know? So I I don't know. I always think it's interesting to see how people balance those kinds of things. And uh, I appreciate you being open and a little bit vulnerable about it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a thing. And we have gotten better at some, I mean, uh, Jen and Patrick Oliverio have been really great at helping. I mean, Jen does anything that we ask. So she's, she's, she's been really good, but now she's moving away. So yeah. (laughs) Well, and I I think it's important too, to, to note, this is something Demandre said as well. Like, how does it work with your family? to travel everywhere and then literally be traveling every single week back and forth. And he said exactly the same thing that, you know, my wife gets it. My family Mm -hmm. is resilient. And I think that's like an important thing to not overlook that when there's achieving and high functioning people that oftentimes they have a a system around them that the family gets it or that there are sacrifices, that there are trade-offs and they're, we're not always sure we're making the right trade-off sometimes. <laughs> sure, you know? but nobody's absolutely right. And I, uh, well, we've seen it several times with people that that don't have understanding spouses, one or the other, that end up not being able to take part, uh, yeah. or that they've <laughs> they deal with a lot of lot of things at, at home to do it that that are probably detrimental to their to their health and well-being. Sure, yeah. And that's got to be a weird feeling, right? Like yeah. this person's like blowing up their life just so they can come like <laughs> Yeah, it makes, going to, <laughs> makes going to the concerts <laughs> awkward. You look down a lot. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I kind of want to like, for me, just to, I, I want to go down memory lane a few times right. because I want people to understand too, if possible, this it's again, it's not so much, although the music itself can be manufactured to be like incredible, right? It, it like mm-hmm. oftentimes is, it's just the people. And I remember that breath of souls performance specifically. I remember I was the euphonium is, uh, excels at being able to play softly. And then when you have <laughs> someone who knows what they're doing, like you can take a pretty amazing risk. And I remember in breath of souls, you had the solo or everything got quieter and quieter and quieter, quieter. And then you have the melody and then the the one of the cornet parts, the one I was playing, has this counter melody. Mm-hmm. And I remember the very first time we did it, you were playing so soft, and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't play that soft. And you know, I maybe Joe was telling me to the conductor is telling yeah, me to yeah. be quieter. I was like, I can't, like I can't do this. <laughs> but I remember the feeling of like, well, this is Lee's moment, and I I have to like it's on me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like I feel like the vibe is like it's on me to figure out how I'm going to support his moment. And I remember telling you right before we went out, I, 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 we were standing next to each other and I said, I don't care if no notes speak, <laughs> come out of my instrument, I'm going to play soft enough for you at that moment. Like that, I feel like that's the kind of yeah. camaraderie vibe that's going on in that situation. It's like, I'll make myself sound bad if it helps. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That, that's an extreme way to say it, but I think the point is there. 
No, I, I remember that clearly, and I remember I remember the hug afterwards. It was yeah, it was I couldn't. I remember I had planned. I was going to say thank you, Lee. This was I will never forget this. This is such an important moment in my life, and I just said the word thanks, <laughs> and then I almost started crying. <laughs> That's all I could do. That's all I could get out. It was so meaningful to me, you know. Like it's it's an interesting thing, and again, I've reflected on like what would make that so special, and I do think the fact that it's not paid and everyone, the effort, the thing that makes it worth it is the effort that's put forth by everybody there, and like we don't all get along at all times, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, we don't always agree on how things are going to go, but there is this sort of familial element of like I may not agree with everything you're doing, but I got your back. You yeah, it's sure. incredible. Well, I feel like we've done a satisfactory job explaining. I think so. Um, you have CDs, I know. Um, we do. We don't necessarily have to go over every single one of them, but if people were interested in hearing the Fountain City Brass Band, where could they find those things? You can find those CDs at our website, fcbb.net. Um, we're, we're also linked on Facebook, Twitter. I, I believe we have an Instagram now. Patrick Oliverio is running that. Yeah, so good we'll, for him. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, uh, we have some... We have some really great CDs. The uh, Celtic Impressions, I would certainly recommend yeah. uh, for, for, for that one. I was on that one. There we go. If somebody wanted to say, Lee, I really enjoyed listening to you, how would they tell you that? How would they get in touch with you unless they should just go through the band? Oh, uh, I'm on Facebook, Lee Harrelson. I mean... Uh, fcbb at fcbb.net comes to me, the email address. But um, yeah, I'm certainly on social media. Happy to chat anytime. Sweet. Well, um, my guess too is beyond saying, you know, thank you for the words. If somebody needed, somebody was convinced that starting a brass band was the right idea and they wanted some help. I'd, Let's chat. Yeah, maybe that would be a good place <laughs> to go. Um, if you want to join Fountain City, I bet you he's always open to... Uh, <laughs> Happy to listen to your audition. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, if you need to get in touch with me, most of you know what to do with that, but uh, it's that's not spit.com and uh, that at that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. You can uh, leave a rating and a review if you enjoyed this, uh, I guess negative or positive. Absolutely. Uh, that would be an awesome thing to do and be sure to share it on social media if you uh, so other people can hear it. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>